Today on the show, we're talking about recessions. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your co-host, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Trevor. And today on the show, we're talking about recessions. And I thought this is a good topic. Um, I read in the news that we're in a recession, a recession is about to begin, we could be right in the throes of it. Uh, the thing about a recession is it kind of starts on an individual basis, person by person, family by family. The, rest, the recession starts for you when you've been affected by it. That's when the recession happens. And the whole concept of this show is recessions seem historically come every eight to 10 years. And if you think you've been through a recession, you, you might be in your 50s and say, oh, I've seen recessions. I've been through a bunch of them. I know what it's all about. Well, I'm here to say maybe you don't because your life changes dramatically every, I'm going to say every decade. You, the things you were concerned and worried about or aspiring for uh, when you were 20 are different than what you're thinking or worried about or aspiring for when you're 30, 40, and 50, and so on. And so if these recessions come every decade, then the, the concerns you're going to have around a recession and your reaction to it are going to be different every time it happens. So just because you've been through one doesn't mean you know what you're going to do in the next one. So throughout the show, we are going to talk about what a recession may look like depending on the age that you are at. But just to clarify what you said there, because I that blows me away what you said there, that just because we've lived through one or two recessions, the next recession, we're going to be a different age in a different period of our life. And therefore, it's going to feel totally different. Well, and it doesn't help that the recession... The cause of the recession every time is something different. I mean, if the cause of the recession was the same thing every time, then people would see it coming and they would actually profit from it or they would they would not be affected by it at all because they, they could see it coming. But recessions tend to start for different reasons every time. The triggers are different. The, the things that keep you in a recession longer or cause it to be a short recession are different. They're unpredictable. That's the nature of a recession. And I find this concept, the way that you've kind of laid out this framework that we've never, every time we see a recession, it's kind of for the first time is so novel because I think as individuals, we like to approach, I mean, a recession is a kind of a, can be a very, it's a, it's a turbulent time. So I think we'd like to think that we can approach situations with a certain level of, of certainty because we have been there and seen that before. So this concept is just, I think, blowing, a, I'm sure, my mind and a lot of our listeners' minds right now. You know, the only takeaway you can get, if, if you've been through a, a few recessions, the only takeaway you have is, I remember my first recession, I thought, this is the new normal. This is my, my, this is my future. And it does end and it, there is a recovery. But when you're in it and it's your first one, you think that this is the new normal and, and this is what you're going to live with forever. And having been through recessions, you realize it is a cycle and you will come out the other end at some point. So there's more of a pattern that you're able to identify if you've been through more than one, but you just, the nuances of how it plays out are going to look different depending on each recession. Well, in when they say a recession, we've recovered, the economy's recovered from a recession, it doesn't mean every individual has recovered, right? So 
if you went into this recession with a mountain of debt in a very precarious job uh, occupation where your your employment is not that solid and you lose your job and you lose your house and you lose your car, your recovery is going to look a lot different than the person who their hours were just scaled back at their job. You know, th- those two recoveries look dramatically different. The econ- when the economists say, okay, we've recovered from a recession, that means as a whole, we're back to where we were pre-recession, but there's a lot of individuals who have not recovered yet. No, that makes sense. And I, I want to jump into... Talk- you know, I, I just want to say, a recession, we talk about recessions as a economic, global, or, or, or country event, but it is a very individual thing because there's no two people that suffer the same from the, from the recession. Everyone suffers a recession in their own unique way. It, it, and it depends how close to the financial edge you were before the recession. And it, to, you know, it, those people tend to suffer the most. But it really, it, it really is an individual experience. And when when people get together and talk about past recessions, they're they're talking about some generalities, like you know this was going on, interest rates were doing this, and that's all the common thread. But everybody else suffered in their own special way. I'm really glad you pointed that out because it it's kind of one of those phenomenons where it is a global phenomenon. It's affecting us all at different magnitudes and levels, but it's so personal because depending on the industry where you are in, where we are in life, how close the financial edge we are, we're going to be impacted in literally a million different ways, depending on the individual. You know, Warren Buffett sums up the impact of a recession. He kind of says, picture everyone swimming at the beach and the tide goes out and all the people that were skinny dipping, (laughs) meaning they weren't wearing a bathing suit, they're they're exposed, so they they went swimming with no swimwear, and when the tide goes out, they're fully exposed, and the people who took the time to put on their bathing suits and maybe a bit of sunscreen, they're they're a little more protected. So the people who are living sort of in the moment, at the onset of a recession, tend to be the people that are the most exposed. That's a that's a great analogy, and I I was gonna ask this later, but I it's kind of I don't want to say off topic, but is the industry you are in and maybe the career path you choose, how heavily how heavily should you consider that or is that taken into consideration when we're looking at recessions? Everyone is looking for the recession-proof career or recession-proof job. And I don't think they, they exist really. I mean, recessions, just say you work for the government. You would think, the government's never going out of business, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you you would think that job's recession proof. Well, you might end up with, and you've seen this, uh, wage freezes, right? Or uh, wage rollbacks. Or uh, back in the 1990s, I think uh, there was an NDP government in power in Ontario, and it was uh, the premier of the day was Bob Ray, and they they had they had uh, a thing called Ray Days, and this was. Everyone in the provincial government had to take a mandatory day off without pay every week or every month. I can't remember the frequency, but they're called Ray Days. It, it amounted to, obviously, those people had to get the same, their work done. I mean, the work didn't go away. They just had fewer days to do it in. 
So it amounted to a pay reduction, temporary as it was. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the unions, they don't negotiate um, wage increases or sometimes there's a clawback from the company on, on benefits. So I don't know that there's any completely re- recession-proof. I, actually, I remember nurses in the province of Ontario, they, in an effort to save some money in a recession, they they just stopped hiring nurses or they laid some nurses off and, and the healthcare system took a big hit. Like, like I, I, I'm yet to see the recession-proof job out there. They, everyone is affected some way, somehow. And I think that right there really speaks to how vulnerable we can be when a recession comes then. And and uh, and if you think of it, if government, I go back to the government because that's when a lot of people think the recession proof. A lot of times projects in the government are, it, it, there's government funding. And when you're in a recession, your, your tax revenue goes down and therefore they can't afford to fund the same projects they were funding. So even if you're in some sort of environmental project, uh, that project... They might not stop it, but they may slow it down. And when I say slow it down, they'll lay off a bunch of people to, and the project will still get done, but rather than being done in five years, it's going to be done in 10 years. So they're, they're not spending as much tax dollars funding that project as aggressively. So I don't know that anything is, is recession-proof. So I've never, I've never lived through a recession in my adult life, but... So let's just say how old you are. So I'm 25. And so you, you, you have not been through a recession. And here, here's one of the, the concerns. So somebody at 25, so by the time I was 25, I had seen a recession. The problem with... Okay, so right now we've been, I think we were due for a recession in 2018. Should have been, you know, the 10-year mark since the last recession. And now we're at 2020, so we're kind of two years overdue. Actually, if you go every eight to 10 years, we're even more overdue. But we'll just say we're two years overdue. The longer we go without a recession, the more... So the people that haven't seen one, they become more influential in the economy in that they own houses, they own cars. And their reaction to the recession is more dramatic. And they end up doing things and acting in ways that actually impact the economy and maybe cause things to go bad in, in, a, in a more accelerated manner because if, just say you were 20 and you ha- then all of a sudden recession hits. At 20, you probably don't even own a car. So you, you're not, your car's not going to be repossessed. Like you, you're not going to be, your influence on the overall economy at 20 is a lot smaller than your influence on the economy at 25. I mean, it's only five years, but the decisions and the things you were doing in that five-year window are, are more influential on the economy. So you take all the 25-year-olds and add them all together, and all of a sudden you have a big group of people who've never been through a recession, and when the sky starts falling, they start reacting in a dramatic way, thinking this is the new normal, and they panic. People that who are, are, say, 35 and they've seen at least one recession, they go, okay, this is going to suck for about a year and a half or two years. You know, we might lose a car. You know, we might have to sell our house, but this thing will be over at some point. They don't act, even though they haven't, you know, like I'm I'm not going back on my thing that that person's recession at 25 is different than at 35, but 
they know that this thing will end. So then they're, they're going to act accordingly. So I, I want you to elaborate on what you're saying about how the, the actions of someone maybe at the age of 25 is going to be a little bit more irrational and, and cause problems economically. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, if, if you're 25 and just say you've bought your first home and a whole bunch of 25-year-olds bought their first home and all of a sudden recession hits and you lose your job or you're, you're just say you're supposed to lose your job, you keep your job and uh, all of a sudden you can't make your mortgage payments and you rather than try to get a second job or uh, find some other workaround, you panic and sell your house. And just say all the 25-year-olds panic and sell their houses. I mean, that's, that's not going to happen, but just say it did. All of a sudden, you flooded the market with houses for sale. So pure economics says if you oversupply a particular market, the prices has to go down to, to, to entice buyers. So you've you flooded the market with houses for sale. And in order to sell your house ahead of your neighbor, you're going to reduce your price. So all of a sudden, you've you've affected the real estate value of homes in your in your town, you know, as a group of 25-year-olds who are panicking. That's a good example, especially because obviously we know how much equity is in a house. So that's going to have a real impact um, economically. Uh, the last thing I want to add on to this point is that I, the closest thing I feel I can relate to as to a recession as I have not been one through one in my adult life I happened through one when I was a child and we will get to that um kind of how someone who wasn't of age might have been kind of influenced or interacted with a recession at that age but we're all going through COVID right now um the COVID kind of environment and we all are experiencing it generally but not in the same way and this is kind of and, and my perception that some people are being laid off. Some people um, are working from home, uh, laid off when things shut down. And some people are working from home. Um, some people are just kind of different environments. And that's kind of ever like, I, I feel like we're all, our jobs are all a little bit vol volatile, especially in the kind of the first wave of COVID. So that kind of reminds me of this similar kind of situation. Well, this recession is different, right? <laughs> yes. This one's different. They're all different. So this one, is but but in the sense they're just kind of comparing how our jobs may be affected like some 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 person might not lose their job some person may may lose their job and there's kind of this but you, you probably were all in fear of losing our jobs right even if you haven't lost your job yes, yes. you're in fear of losing your job because anything you know you don't know what's going to happen next you don't know your company's financial position you don't know the decisions they're making behind closed doors so my point around all of that and, and why I brought COVID up COVID is we all kind of have this common denominator because earlier we said our experiences are all individual. There is still is kind of this collective unity that we're all kind of in this recession together with the common thread of job security. From a job standpoint, I think we're all, we all share the same concern, but if you are the person who went skinny dipping and you were, uh, you know, you were overextended on your lifestyle, you losing your job is a lot more dramatic than say someone like me who's living well below my means and losing my job. Delivering pizza would cover my expenses, whereas somebody who's completely overextended and they have a six-figure income and they're they're spending every penny of it and they lose their jobs, their whole life is going to be 
turned upside down. No, that's a fabulous point. And one that should really be underscored because we always say that if I'm living lifestyle X with expenses X, so if I'm living this extravagant lifestyle, but I'm okay with that because I make a six figure income that covers that. If I'm all okay with that, I'm not, I'm, but then we have to think about these phenomenons that are going to, that are going to happen because it's, it's, it's there. It's not if, but when, so really we can't eat that's outside of our control. And that's another reason again, to live below your means. Well, th- these things are, are outside of our control, but living beyond your means, living below your means, you're, you're often leaving opportunity on the table, right? That that's the downside of living below your means. You're leaving, you're living, you're leaving, uh, maybe a real estate opportunities. You, you might, you maybe you want to get into rental real estate. Maybe you've got a bunch of real estate properties that you want to rent out, but they're heavily mortgaged, right? And then in a recession, all of a sudden your tenants can't pay their rent, but you still have to make your mortgage payment. That's an example where you, you were, you wanted to sort of build your wealth, right? But you were maybe going too quickly, too aggressively. No, that's a good example. So I want to, we've thrown out the word recession. I just want to drop down a definition for everyone listening about what a recession is kind of in a nutshell. So a definition I found on the internet is a recession is a period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activity are reduced, generally identified as a fall in gross domestic product in two successive quarters. So a quarter being three months, right? So so two successive quarters of a reduction in gross domestic product, that is uh, considered a recession. Now, if there's two successive quarters of reduction in gross domestic product and you got a promotion in that time in a raise and your, I don't know, your spouse got a, a new job that doubled in pay, would you think you're in a recession? No. Not not really. But sh- should you go out and spend all the money that you got in your raise and your what your spouse's increase in pay uh knowing that there's two successive quarters and a re- you know decline in gross domestic product probably not, right? That So that's why I'm saying the recession starts for you when you have a financial hit. Like when you have financial suffrage that's when the clock starts ticking on your personal recession. So in actuality, that's I, that definition obviously can't argue with that, but... I, I, do you know one of the panics that people do with uh, a recession is, I, I'm always looking at the real estate newspaper, you know, just to see what houses like mine are selling for. Because my house is an investment, right? It, it, as well, as well, we did a podcast where it's not an investment. But if you're, if you're thinking about cashing out of the housing market, all of a sudden, your house is an investment, but it, it's something you've you've. You, a lot of people build that into their their personal wealth calculation, and so in a booming economic time, you might see your house is worth, you know, the the price is somewhat inflated, and all of a sudden a recession hits, and you still got your job, and you're still making a really good paycheck, but all of a sudden you see your house isn't worth what it used to be worth. You know, it's it's dropped considerably. So you you have this subconscious feeling of a reduction in wealth, although nothing's changed. You're collecting the same paycheck, you're going to the same job, driving the same car, 
but all of a sudden you feel a little more poorer. You know, it, not that nothing's changed other than on paper. So that's where you you could almost start the clock ticking on your personal recession because you've something's happening to you, like personally. That's uh, and and is that kind of the first? That actually was my question. Kind of what are the telltale signs at an individual level so that's sign number one is there anything else well a lot of people don't look at real estate prices unless they're thinking of buying or thinking of selling i'm think i'm not thinking of either at the moment but i'm I'm always monitoring it so unless you knew what the value of your home might be pre-recession then knowing what it is in the throes of recession really doesn't matter like you you'd have to know what it was what houses like yours were selling for prior to uh, a reduction in gross domestic product for two successive quarters. Is there anything else though that we can look towards? I mean, for example, we are overdue for a recession given the timeline since 2008, that was our last one. So is there any other kind of obvious telltale signs or is kind of just being aware of the overall market something that um, we should look for? Well, kind of, quite often the, the recession is nothing more than a rumor, right? Mm, yes. It's a rumor. If you say... Uh, a recession's coming. If if you read that in the news often enough, what'll happen is you might say, "Let's not go on that vacation, or let's not do that home renovation, or let's not spend, let's not buy a new car." All those not decisions is causing a business hardship. And if if you keep reading about a recession in the news, and then you and all your neighbors and all your friends decide, you know what, we're not going to buy a car this year. Not not even a $65,000 truck. <laughs> We're not buying it this year. Then all of a sudden, your your neighbor who works at the automaker, they, um, there's a reduction in demand for their product and they get laid off. Well, then that person, all of a sudden, they have less money to spend and then it's like a snowball. It, it just, it all starts to, when the auto industry slows down, all the industries that feed the auto industry slow down and then those people get laid off and all of a sudden, the rumor becomes fact. Kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Wow. And 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 that's the thing. There always is that I feel like the the rumor that that a a recession could come is very real because again we haven't had one, um, and even the climate that we're in right now could be conducive to one. Now, I I started reading rumors of a recession in 2016, and it's 2020. But 2016, you know, that's when the rumor should start because that was right around the eight-year mark. And, and, you know, you'd start to hear the rumors, but they never stuck. They never took, right? It just, the the economy just kept churning. And a a question around that is, obviously, you are very in tune with that. Um, You live below your means. you're, You're set. But do you find it at kind of a general level that maybe... The res- the res- it's kind of more of a reactive approach to a recession that society as a whole is not kind of with their with their kind of being aware of what they should be doing when it's coming, but are kind of more reacting when it when it, a recession is here for them. It is, and it's, it goes back to my thing that because the the recessions never they tend to not repeat themselves for the reason it started and the duration, the reason it lasted as long as it did or it ended as quickly as it did. Again, if you've seen it coming, it would not be as impactful as it is. So nobody sees it coming in time. And it because it happens every decade, your concerns regarding the recession change, right? So the things that you 
you are worried about in the last recession are different than the things you're going to worry about in the next recession. And let's not forget the environmental factors. COVID was nowhere on the table 10 years ago or in back in 2008 when our last recession was. So, I mean, just in general, things change and evolve. I want to move now on now to talk about um, about something that is is quite common, but the fact that economic recessions don't last as long as expansions do. Yeah, they tend to be shorter, the recovery, and the reason it is, so if you go back to the Great Depression, that, last, that lasted about 20 years, the recovery did. And since then, we've developed central banking systems like the Bank of Canada or down in the States, it's called the Fed. And they manipulate interest rates and money supply to, to make these economic downturns not as hard and not as long. So the, there's, there's things in place to manage economies. They have, there's more tools available to governments to manage economies so they don't fall as hard or as long. So that, that is why they tend to be shorter. I think they, the booms tend to be 10 years on average, eight to 10 years. And the busts, which are the, 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 the troughs or the, of, of the recession, tend to be uh, 12 to 15 or 18 months. So not, not as long to recover. But if you are fully exposed, I mean, that's just long enough to wipe you out. Oh, for sure. And that the reason for that, like you said, that's more for because of government kind of influence and support to kind of help stir that economy back up. If you think of recessions, there's kind of two ways a recession starts. There's a, a demand-based recession and a supply-based recession. And we historically or typically have demand-based recessions. And that's where consumers' confidence becomes questionable. And they, they, that, you know, it's that rumor mill that I was talking about. And the government can play a big role in, in sort of managing that by, you know, if, if people are reluctant to borrow money because they think a recession might be coming and the rumors look like they might be coming true, the government will reduce the, the bank rate, like the overnight lending rate for banks, and that will make the cost of borrowing money cheaper. So you might say, okay, I, I, you know, I'm kind of concerned the, about the recession, but mortgage rates are so low or, or financing rates for cars are so low, maybe we should do it, you know, because they're, they're, they, they only have one place to go but up. You know, that could be the mindset, right? So, and, and that will entice someone to go out and buy that $65,000 truck, right? Because the interest rate, they, they have an incredible financing rate on it. So your, your truck payment will only be $1,100 instead of $1,500 or whatever it would be. So that's an example. Um, also, they can uh, do what's called quantitative easing. And that's where the, okay, so in Canada, the Bank of Canada would buy, would, would buy bonds from the government of Canada, in essence, injecting money into the banking system. And the government, in turn, would fund government projects with those, I'll call it, just say that the Bank of Canada bought a billion dollars of Canada savings bonds from the government, then all of a sudden the government of Canada would have an extra billion dollars to fund a bunch of government programs to to get people back to work. Like they might decide to do, you know, repave all the highways. And all of a sudden they need a bunch of workers to repave highways. And all of a sudden those people's got jobs and then they they 
they have money to go buy things and that puts the auto workers back to work because of this, this they know i'm got a paving job and i'm gonna go buy a, a new car to get to work in and it kind of snowballs the other way so those are kind of uh, an example of the tools the government has to work with in a demand-based recession i want to talk more about that but before before we do in can can you share a little bit about what you've seen um maybe behind the fact in, in in regards to that maybe why we haven't had a recession yet and it's it why it's kind of being pushed back from that that estimated time that is a really good question and i i think you know i i've talked to some 20 year olds <laughs> who told me recessions are a thing of the past and these are people who've never been through one she's they they're telling me they just don't exist anymore. So don't waste your time worrying about recessions. They're done. And I think the the global economy has been has is at another level. So if you go back to say the 1980s, uh, that was kind of like the the birth of the made in China phenomena, right? So we were buying things from China, but we weren't buying things from China. Uh, big retailers were buying things from China, but now you and me personally can buy stuff right from China. So the difference is the, the global economy has reached an individual level in that you and me can participate in the global economy at an individual level. And we could buy stuff uh, globally and we can sell stuff like on eBay. We can sell stuff globally. So if our country is suffering, just say uh, a particular industry is down, but we can turn around and, and do business with another country on an individual basis, then I, I think we're le- it, it takes a, a now a worldwide recession to really have the same effect on your personal country or yourself, whereas back in the 1980s, it could be more localized. So that's, it's it definitely, so this is obviously so much different than it has been in the past, which which really explains too why every recession looks different. Like things are changing. Well, and and it, they always have. They've it's always been an evolving like political uh, sort of. The recessions are are historically regional, and now they're becoming less regional, more sort of global. I think, like I say, I, you, every one of these recessions started for a different reason and ended for a different reason. If, if there was a pattern other than every eight to 10 years, if, if the reason it happened was, was that predictable, we probably would put something in place to make it not happen. Right? Like it it would be something we could, we could prevent. Like it's just, it's a different reason. It's so let me go back to in the late 1980s, there was a recession in Canada might've been everywhere, but I'm going to, I was in, I'm in Canada, so I, I felt it here. And one of the things that caused that recession, so inflation was running about 5.5%. If you can imagine, 5.5% rec- uh, inflation. It hasn't been above 2% in, a, I don't know, 20 years. So interest rates were at around, I'm going to say, I don't know, 13 14%. And that that, that was, the, so when in, when inflation, when inflation goes up, the Bank of Canada here in Canada, they have a mandate to keep uh, inflation at a given percentage by the by the government of the day. And let's just say that per- that was say it was four percent at the time. I don't know what it was. 
So the Bank of Canada would increase interest rates, meaning it would de deter people from borrowing money to slow the economy down. The opposite of a recession. You want to slow the economy down because if you let economy grow, grow, grow too fast, it will burst. And that's kind of what happened in the 1980s. And there was a thing happening in the late 80s where people were flipping houses. And so what would happen was there was a, a right around Toronto, it might have been everywhere, but I'm just going my personal experience. There was a, a building boom. They were building houses on every empty piece of land anywhere. And what was happening is people were buying the house before it was built and selling it without even moving into it and, and making a profit because houses were going up at such a rapid rate that they could buy the house before it's even built and sell it without even moving into it and make a $20,000 profit. And they just kept doing this. And that, what that was doing was the housing market was being artificially inflated by speculative buyers, right? The, these weren't people looking for homes. These were people trying to turn a dollar, uh, like they were looking at homes as an, as an investment tool with a quick turnaround. And it was working like magic. So after that bubble burst, the government of the day put in a law saying you had to actually move into the house and take possession of it before you could sell it. And I, I think you might actually have to live in it for a whole year before you can sell it. So whenever there is a cause of a recession, quite often they will put something in place to stop that from happening. If you think of the 2008 credit crisis, which um, it was primarily in the States, but of course it affected Canada as well, there was a lot of things put in place to stop that, that uh, more, more rules around banking to stop that from happening again in the future. So whenever a recession happens, they tend to fix what was broken, but there'll be something else, right? They, people are uh, creative, uh, resourceful. You know, everyone's trying to make money, right? So the, people are going to find in what people are doing wasn't illegal. It was just... Uh, a loophole or, or a flaw in the existing system. So it, it worked. So you mentioned uh, high interest rates. I didn't realize how much I love talking about recessions, by the way. <laughs> yeah, this episode, this episode is chocked full. And um, you didn't, so you mentioned high interest rates as a common trigger of recessions. Can you speak to other common triggers? So um, some of them can be like a combination of factors, but uh, high interest rates, I mean, if, if the government is trying to slow the economy too much, then they, they can actually go too far and, and, and actually puts the brakes on rather than just slow it down. So that, that's a problem. Just general consumer confidence can be part of it. And uh, a stagnation in wages. And so if you have inflation, and for whatever reason, uh, a stagnation in wages, mean people are not, their wages aren't keeping up with inflation, so in essence, you're getting poorer with every passing year. That that can affect your purchasing power, and obviously you can't spend as much. So that that can have a, a an impact on on real income in labor markets. Um, uh, this is these are extreme ones, but a run on the bank where people are concerned about their their deposits in banks, and they they all start withdrawing money on mass, you know, and then the banks have no money to loan out. I mean, it, it just creates a, a financial a mess. And then, of course, asset bubbles. I mentioned that one in the 1980s, late 1980s, the real estate bubble. That's an asset class. And um, it, it bursts. And w what I find interesting about kind of 
past occurrences and then things are kind of safe holds are put in place to prevent that from happening in the future. It's, there's always going to be something new, something different. And that's what I find really funny or not funny, but just really interesting. And that's why you can never see it coming. Yeah. Right. Cause it, it, there, there's not going to be the same real estate bubble that there was in the, in the late eighties, but there was in the 2008 recession, there was a real estate related bubble or, 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 you know, crisis that, that affected that. So I, I think in Canada, real estate is incredibly uh, overvalued. Like if you think of, and, and I look at it this way. So if you look at all the land we have in Canada, we, we tend to have a lot of that. So much. <laughs> and okay, I'm, I'm going to say it's not all of it is what I would call inhabitable. You get pretty far north and it's pretty miserable. So let's just say, the strip along the 49th parallel and the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence River, you know, that there's still a lot of land, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can drive through fields and fields and fields and not see a home and still be in a, a fairly comfortable climate in Canada most of the year. And if you think of what it costs, labor and materials to build a house, so just labor and material, and think of all the vacant land in our country. And then you start to think of million-dollar homes in downtown Toronto that are just houses. They're not McMansions. They're just, they're just houses, million-dollar homes. Now, I get you want to live close to your place of employment, but we've done shows on this before. You have to earn a ton of money to afford that you know, million-dollar home in downtown Toronto. You can find a lower-paying job in the suburbs of that city or even further out and, and have a lower cost of living that that's an option too, right? And the more, if it just, I just think there's a bubble going on right now in real estate and it, it's part of it's driven off of a low interest rates. And I think this could be the thing. And I, I'm no economist, but I like to play one on the internet. As interest rates fall, more and more people qualify for, for to buy a given home in a given town. And the bank looks at you, the, basically your ability to make a mortgage payment and pay the taxes. So as, as interest rates go down, uh, one more person qualifies to buy that same house. So say there was five people who, who, were, who could qualify to buy a house on your street. And the Bank of Canada just dropped the interest rate, you know, a half point. And now one more person can now qualify to buy that same house. That's one more bidder on that same house. So you you add more bidders to buy to that want to buy that house. What's that home? The person who's selling at home going to do? They're going to increase their price to the highest bidder, so that's going to inflate the price of a house. So, I that that's an example how these record low interest rates for so many years I think has created a a bubble, a real estate bubble, a different one. <laughs> who knew, right? A different real estate bubble, and we may when this thing. Uh, crashes and here's the risk people will end up upside down on their on their just say the real estate bubble busts and we hit a recession and a whole bunch of people can't afford to buy homes and then people who lose their jobs they are forced to sell their homes and if a whole bunch of people are forced to sell their homes in order to sell your home faster than your neighbor you're going to lower your price and then all of a sudden it's a race to the bottom and people are lowering the price and then all of a sudden you're living in a home just say you don't need to sell it but just say you paid $500,000 for your house 
and you open the real estate paper and you see, oh, it's only worth 400000 and gee, I owe 450000 on this house. All of a sudden you're thinking, I could leave the keys on the table and be $50,000 ahead, you know, if you just bought the place. Now, obviously your, your credit rating can take a, a horrible hit, but that's an example of, of the, you know, an extreme example of, of what could happen. But that's, that's, that's one you wouldn't see coming, right? And who caused that one? Well, the, the, the Bank of Canada, I guess, or the government of the day, you know, like keeping interest rates suppressed for so long has created unrealistic... Real- and so then when those interest rates start to go up, it just say that's the solution, right? So you got all these people that bought these ha- half million dollar just a house, not a McMansion, and they bought it at a 2% interest rate, right? And they had a five-year term. And at the end of the five years, just say interest rates are, I don't know, 5%. That's not a crazy number, 5%. Well, all of a sudden, they can't afford the mortgage payment, right? They, they, they don't, the bank actually won't give you that much money at 5%. So then you get in a second mortgage at, and a second mortgage is, is at a ridiculous interest rate that you, you for sure can't afford. And all of a sudden you have to sell your home. And so do all, all the other people in your sort of situation. And it becomes another race to the bottom. Oh yeah, no, I, everything you said. Yeah. And I, I do have a question on that for you as a homeowner is a little off topic by me asking this, but it has come to my mind since you were kind of talking about kind of the race to the bottom is as a homeowner, how at the top of your mind is the idea that the value of your home could go down? I mean, you are nearing um, your retirement yourself. And so maybe any listeners who are kind of in the same boat as you, how time to sell your home, like how to, especially in today, right now, how does that weigh in your mind? That's a great question. You're full of good questions today. So here's the situations where it matters. So for me, I own my home. So it really doesn't matter what it's worth unless I'm going to cash out of the housing market. Then it matters. If I'm buying another house, well, if the housing market's high, I'm going to sell my house high. I'm going to buy my next house high. If the housing market's low, I'm going to sell my house low, buy my next house low. doesn't matter. If I have a lot of equity in my home, it doesn't matter, right? It, it, it doesn't matter. But if you just bought your house and you don't have much equity and the housing market declines and just say you got a half million dollar house and you owe 450000 and you've only paid off 10000 and now you can only sell that house for 400000 all of a sudden to, to sell, you got to come up with money of your own, right? There's no, there's no equity. There's, there's zero equity. So if, you're, if, you're, if you have very little equity and you're selling your home to move to another home, and the market has dropped, you're in trouble, right? That, that's a problem. If you're in a situation where you have very little e- equity or actually if you're in a situation where you, you have to sell and get out of the housing market because you lost your job or some traumatic thing, exiting the housing market, that's a problem. Entering the housing market in a boom, like so entering the mo- housing market when it's at its peak, that's a bad time. So it's getting in and out of the market it is that your timing, I mean, it's hard to time it when you need a house, you need a house, but when getting in and out of the housing market, it, it could really, so here's, an, here's, here's some advice I'd, I'd say. So when interest rates are falling, house prices are increasing as a rule. That's a pattern. So I would, be, I would consider buying a house 
when I see interest rates start to go up. Sounds counterintuitive, but your mortgage is going to be just for five years at the most. Most people only sign up for like a five-year term at the, the longest. So if, if once interest rates start going up and some people have, you know, sort of delayed their house buying because interest rates went up, that may, you may, that may signal a reduction in real estate prices. So that might be the sweet spot to get in. But when interest rates are falling like a stone, like every single quarter the government's reducing interest rates, you just know more and more people are getting into the housing market. And the more people are getting in, that's driving the price up. You're, you're talking bidding wars, people uh, paying over list price. I actually heard a story recently that a purchaser has agreed to pay the real estate commission for the seller, which is unheard of. Typically, in, in where I live, the, the seller pays the commission you know, to the real estate agent. And this is, this is the opposite. So, and then a lot of times in a, in a, when I, every time I've bought a house, I've put conditions on my agreement to purchase. So a condition on financing, even though I had the financing pre-approved, I still put the condition in there, a condition of a home inspection. That's a condition, right? And you could put any condition you want in, but those are kind of two that people, sellers tend to, tended to accept. Well, I, from what I understand today, if you don't put in an offer with zero conditions and over list price and maybe something crazy like I'll pay your real estate commission, you're not getting that house. It's basically just like, here's all my money. Can I have your house? <laughs> That's basically what you're doing. That is, that blows my mind. And I mean, the second we start paying over list for, and, and, and doing the crazy things like paying the commission, I mean, that's, something's got to change there. That's just. Well, you know, when I, so I don't know if I am equipped to buy a house anymore because when I bought my, every house I bought, it was, there was a, a back and forth, a negotiation with the seller. Even actually when I sold my houses, there was a negotiation. So I would put an offer in and the purchaser, you know, I would, I would, put an offer in lower than what the purchaser was asking and they would sign it back with a higher price and then I would sign it back with a higher price than my original offer but lower than their sign back and so on and that's kind of how you know you got the market price for that house yeah I felt comfortable saying okay I paid the market price because we went back and forth and this this appeared to be and you might do that with a couple of houses maybe you do that a couple of times I did that too much and, and the, the seller said, you know what, we're not going to sell at that price. And I said, well, I'm not going to buy at that price. And, and we walked away. So I, I got a feeling for what the market price was by going through that process, right? You know, I, I, I let a couple of houses get away on me and maybe I wasn't, I wasn't completely in with them. I just wanted to know what the market was doing. And I felt I paid the market price, you know, that kind of back and forth, you, you feel out the the seller and the purchaser, you, you come to a, an agreement. In the market, I described, here's all my money, can I have your house? Do you know if you overpaid for that house? Do you know what, you, like, a lot of times, the, the, when you put a house for the seller will, will wait until they have like five or six offers on their kitchen table, and they'll open them all up, and they will take the, the highest offer. Your offer could have been, you know, not $1,000 over, it could have been $10,000 over, the next lowest offer. You don't know. So you don't know. I mean, hopefully your agents dialed in and they're telling you, you know, that this is over, you know, this is over market price or it isn't. So it, it I don't know if I'm equipped to buy a house in this, this market. Yeah, no, that's uh Well, this is called a seller's market. market. 
Yeah. And I have historically bought my houses in a buyer's market, meaning there is more houses for sale than there is buyers. And a seller's market is there's more buyers than there is houses for sale. But if we're looking, so I, I kind of want to rewind a little. And you know why we're talking about houses? Because most people, the average person, this is their, like from age, say 30 or whenever you buy your first house, even 25, this is your your investment. This is your your asset class. This, this is what you've got all your money in. So th- this is why houses tend to be the topic around recessions. And uh, in speaking to that, I, I just want to follow up on what you said earlier about how you'd be out, you'd, for, for you, it doesn't really matter if your house, the, like the price of your house falls or, or um, rises, I guess, um, because you, you are financially independent. Well, no, no, I, I have no mortgage. You have no mortgage. Yeah. Okay. So because you have no mortgage, but aren't you still concerned about selling it when it is high? Well, I know that there's no, so long as I'm buying another house, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And can you talk about just, just, just to shine light on this, the, the danger of pulling out of a house market, all housing market altogether. Well, if you pull out of the housing market, the housing market could get away on you, right? So just say I sold my house and traveled for a year and I came back to the same town wanting to buy a house. Well, the housing dollars I had tucked away in a savings account or under my mattress or in my RV, <laughs> that, that money won't buy the same house that I exited, right? So I may have sold a single detached home at, at a given price. A year later, I come back. I'll need an extra $100,000 to, to buy in that same neighborhood in that same similar house. So that's an example of how a housing market can get away from you. But the opposite could happen. You, not that you should ever try to time the market, but I could get out of the housing market at the peak, go travel for a year and come back and, and buy that same house for $100,000 less. If, the, if I got out, I cashed out at the right time, I, I don't know that you could... I, I thought the housing market in my town peaked in 2016. Just that's how dialed in I am. <laughs> and here it is 2020 and prices are insane. Wow. No, and that just that speaks a lot to kind of where we're at. So I want to move through this episode and I, I want to talk about now, we brought it up earlier, but um, talking about the demand side and the supply side um, being a factor in a recession. So there's a couple a couple factors that come into play when we're talking about a demand side shock that could occur. Um, the number one being uh, the finan- a financial crisis. So that that's what happened in 2008. The banks became somewhat insolvent in the United States, not not in Canada. We have pretty strong banking policies, but banks started becoming insolvent, and all of a sudden, people's ability to lend and borrow money became questionable. So this caused a crisis. So uh, people started hoarding their money and this created a demand type recession. The second one is a rise in interest rates, which we have kind of discussed. Yeah. So you increase the interest rates and all of a sudden people say, well, all of a sudden I can't afford that or, or I don't want to afford that at that interest rate. So even buying a car, uh, even, uh, even a home equity line of credit, which I hate, but th- th- those examples, I won't do that kitchen renovation because I was going to use my, my home equity line of credit, but 
the interest rate on that has gone up by, you know, 3%. This, this kitchen rent is going to cost me an extra $300 a month. You know, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to put it off until the rates go down. The third uh, factor when we're looking at demands, uh, demand side shock that could um, occur is uh, a fall in asset prices. So this could be, we talked about houses, but you could have investments in the stock market uh, and, and it's on, you, on paper, your, your wealth has, de- has been reduced and just on paper, but you feel less wealthy and that feeling of less wealth will make you want to subconsciously hoard your money or spend less. So when you do that, you, you contribute to the demand based recession. The fourth one, and we've kind of, we discussed this earlier, but a fall in real wages. So this is where inflation outstrips wages. And if you think of real estate, we keep going back to real estate, but the price of houses has been going up and it has been outstripping wages for a long time. There's a lot of millennials who feel that the the world has, you know, really dealt them a bad hand. They they can't afford to get into a house. The They can't save up on a down payment fast enough at the rate that houses are going up. Every time they save up what they think is a down payment, it's it it's not enough, right? Because the house went up at a higher rate than their savings rate. And that's an example where then they just decide, you know what? I'm out on real estate right now. I can't keep up with the market. And all of a sudden, if a whole bunch of people come to that conclusion, all of a sudden real estate takes a hit. The So moving on to the next point as well after that, uh, that side tangent. But um, number five is uh, there the fourth dem- demand side shock that could occur. Um, and this is one of the factors is uh, fallen consumer or business confidence. So this is the rumor of a recession. Right. This this is the rumor mill saying, you know, uh, a recession's here or a recession's coming and people pulling in the reins on their spending. And that just has a snowball effect on the whole economy. And that's I've seen that happen. And it, it's real. People just put off things like the vacation, the home renovation, the new car, the, the all sorts of things they don't do because they are concerned about an upcoming recession and the rumor becomes reality. Which we were talking about earlier. Last but not least is a trade war. And this is uh, something that I thought was going to trigger the recession in 2016. There was uh, the Donald Trump phenomena where he was um, wanting to make America great again. And he was putting tariffs on all things coming into the United States. So the country I live in, Canada, we export aluminum to the United States and he put a tariff on aluminum I think going in <laughs> maybe it was coming out but there was a tariff on aluminum and that was uh, uh, that was causing the cost that was going to increase the cost of products in my country and it might deter me from buying them and that in essence would cause layoffs in that industry and those people would be laid off, they would stop buying things, which would cause a trickle-down effect. So that's an example how a, a trade war could could spark a, a recession. Another side tangent. In the past, when looking back at kind of past recessions, how heavily has, has Canada been influenced with in our recession based on what is occurring in our neighboring country? Uh, typically, whatever happens in the U.S. economy definitely happens in Canada. 
but is it kind of a trickle up effect? Like what, whatever occurs there first will impact us or is it kind of, do they really occur simultaneously? I think we're pretty intertwined and I think they, they kind of happen simultaneously. That makes sense. So I, last but not, not, like, not last but not last. There isn't many companies in Canada that they, um, it's unfortunate, but there isn't many pure Canadian companies. Like if you think of uh, General Motors, it's it's not a Canadian company. There's a Canadian arm to General Motors, but it, it's it's in the United States. You think of Honda, it's it's a Japanese company, right? So there's there isn't like uh, here's one that was a Canadian company, Nortel. You may have you ever heard of Nortel? It went. Yeah, so it went bankrupt. So there the, there there's very few of these um, sort of pure Canadian companies. No, that's that's a, that's a true point. So following talking about the demand side shock, it's of course, we need to talk about how recessions can be caused by the supply side as well. So when we're looking at supply side shock, uh, what, what, what kind of are some examples of that? So these are rare. And the problem with supply side recessions is the government doesn't have the same toolbox to deal with it. So if you have a supply side recession, um, raising, lowering interest rates doesn't help like, you're not trying to motivate your population to go out and spend money when you have a supply-side recession. So an example would be a rise, a sharp rise in oil prices or a sharp rise in inflation. And if you think of a sharp rise in oil prices, all of a sudden people can't afford to drive their cars. And if they can't afford to drive the cars, well, they're not going to buy a car, right? So the supply-side recession ends up becoming a demand recession, but it's triggered by a supply issue. And I believe this one is going to be, the other one is a black swan event. And I think that is something like a global pandemic. <laughs> surprise, surprise, here we are. That's where the supply chain gets disrupted. And it puts people out of work. And so we were kind of heading that way when we, and then everybody's shutting down People were being laid off because if, if you're a manufacturing facility and you were re requiring, say, material from China and China was in a lockdown, they couldn't send you raw materials to feed your, your production process, you have to lay your people off. You lay your people off, they don't have any money, they're not going to go buy anything, and that has a snowball effect. So if the government lowers interest rates, that isn't going to help get the supply back in, right? So... the the, the, the good thing is with a supply-side recession, if, if it doesn't last too long, if the supply gets problem gets rectified, the demand problem, it, it, so long the demand, so long it doesn't evolve into a demand recession. So if it starts out, there's a disruption in supply, a bunch of people get laid off, and then they stop spending. If that, if that feels permanent as opposed to temporary, and when I say temporary, I'd be permanent if it if it's feels like oh we should sell our house or we should sell this car or we we better not buy another car like if you start making those type of decisions based on a supply side recession it becomes a demand recession and then all of a sudden you're you're in uh, deep but the government has a toolbox to deal with it. I was going to say, we, obviously in the first wave we saw, like you're speaking to some kind of slowdowns and stops uh, with, with production. 
So this is where the the government could step in. And I'm, I'm assuming that's what has happened in the past with kind of this type of scenario. One thing, one final question for you before we move on to kind of talking about how we're affected, how we're seeing recessions for the first time in every age, um, basically in our life, the first time we're seeing recessions is back um, back a few years ago when we did see a uh, rise in gas prices. Um, how, how did I, I mean, I wasn't personally driving at that time, but how, how did you see that play out? It didn't feel permanent. Like it, 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 it didn't stop me from, you know what? It did stop me from driving. It, it, it made, but at a societal level too. I mean, can, can you speak to that? And what did you see? And so what people, everyone talked about it. So it was in the news, but I remember the comment was, you know, going somewhere, Gas was just an incidental cost of a trip. It was just something, the fuel cost was just like, you know, grabbing, it, it was just an incidental cost. It, it didn't really show up in your budget as a significant number. But when, when g- gas was up around a buck 50, buck 60, maybe even almost two bucks a liter, going somewhere, uh, it was a significant expense, like com- you know, comparatively from just a few months or weeks earlier. So I, th- I think people, it did alter people's driving behavior and possibly their spending behavior. It was short-lived, which was good. So I want to move on now to talking about um, how, the kind of th- talking about basically how every recession really is different. It happens for a different reason. Um, but kind of the three areas that it really impacts yeah, so it, the recessions happen for different reasons and they last longer or shorter for different reasons, but they tend to impact us in three ways. So there's there's three things that they seem to touch everybody on and it's around employment. So in a recession, the most important thing you can do is keep your job. If you keep your job, it, it's almost like the recession never happened, right? Other than the worrying you might do. Uh, not having much debt. So debt is another one. If, if you are maxed out in your debt, uh, then your employment becomes even more important and you get nervous in, in a big way with that. And if you have investments, you have this perception of a loss of wealth. So those are kind of three ways that recessions have touched me every single time. So every recession I've been through, I have had these feelings every time. Like I've, been, I've had concerns around these three things that's the one consistency I've had in every recession. So we're going to run through six different periods in our life that, because obviously there's changes throughout our life. So it's kind of six periods where, which represent how we experience recessions so differently each time. And really for the first time based on where we are in our life. And so I, I it's, it's important to note that there are those three common threads that are interwoven within kind of all of the, uh, times that we may experience a recession. So the first time, so I'll run through the years and then we'll kind of look with a magnifying glass at each. But um, so if we're 15, year old, 15 years old when a recession occurs, 25 years old, 35 years old, 45 year old, years old, 55, and then 65. So I don't know if this is the case for everybody, but I have found that every 10 years, my life changes dramatically. Like the things that concern me, the things that excite me, the things that interest me, the things that occupy my time and my thoughts, every 10 years, they have been different. 
100%, like that complete, like a complete changeover. So I think if you had a recession every 10 years, your focus regarding that re- recession would be different. So at 15 years old. But but not only your focus, your circumstances of your life and, and yeah. what is impacting you. Yeah. So at 15 years old, if a recession happened when you're 15, you might not even know what happened. You might not even know unless someone told you. And even if they told you, you I don't know that you might not even care, right? So if your parents didn't, if your parents kept their jobs through recession, they may even had shielded you from the idea that there's something going on in the economy that, that people are concerned about. Maybe they told you, maybe they didn't, maybe you cared, maybe you didn't care. But it really probably didn't matter, didn't change your life. You went and hung out with your friends and went to high school and everything was perfect. Now, there's probably some real tragic cases where you maybe had to go get a job to help support your family because everyone lost their jobs. Like the, the, I'm, There's probably some real tragic cases where you were 15 and this thing hit you like a hammer. So I'm not going to pretend that those cases aren't out there. They probably are. But let's just say one of your parents lost their jobs and maybe, you know, you didn't get a new iPhone for Christmas that year. And that was your feeling of a recession, right? The year I didn't get a phone, (laughs) you know, something like that. Or maybe you normally got, you know, uh, five Christmas presents uh, at Christmas and now you only got two. Or there was no vacation. Or maybe you didn't go on a vacation or... You didn't get a brand new bike for your birthday or, or you might have, that may be a reflection. And, and if those are uh, developing years that tend to last. So maybe you do have a re- recollection of a recession, even if you didn't understand what a recession was. But most times at 15, the average person on the street, they're barely aware it happened. So now we move along 10 years later, you're 25 years old, recession hits. Well, at 25, you probably have very unstable employment, right? Like you're 25. Do you feel your job is like rock solid and, and you're invincible there and you're, you're, your company couldn't get by without you? Most people at 25 don't, right? No, no. no. So uh, your financial commitments, you're probably, worst case, you're tied into a 12-month lease on an apartment, right? Right. So if you were to lose your job and you couldn't make your rent, you're on the hook for 12 months of rent. That, that may be your, and at, at 25, I mean, that may seem like oh, it, a, a, a huge burden, right? And you, you, that could be concerning. Maybe you financed a car at 25. Maybe, maybe you bought a $65,000 truck. You could do that at 25. They will loan you that money. They will. So they could come and repossess your truck. Now you're taking the bus, right? And at 25, these things seem life-changing. Like they, they seem like real hardship, but I'm going to point out, you probably have no dependents. Maybe. maybe you have a pet. Worst case, you have a pet, but you don't have any, you know, maybe you do have children. Maybe, I'm going to say on average, probably you don't, you don't have any dependents. You might have a spouse and maybe you're the, having the spouse is a benefit. Maybe you lose your job. Your spouse doesn't, or your spouse loses your job. You don't. So you, you have that support. And at some level, at 25, you can probably call up mom and dad and and they might not bail you at 100%. Maybe they won't won't help you with your $65,000 truck, but they might help you with your 12-month lease on your apartment, right? They won't help you with your crazy expenses, but they'll help you with your reasonable ones. I don't know. But they probably, at some level, your parents are going to, I'm not going to say bail you out, but they might be there to 
ease the pain a little bit. So 15, you didn't know what's happening. 25, your world's being rocked. But compared to someone who's, well, we're going to get down the list, it, looking back, you know, 20, looking back 20 years, you would, you would trade your 45-year-old worries for your 25-year-old worries seven days a week, right? You, you would take those worries seven days a week. And one thing I do want to note about this stage is that your income is probably more replaceable as well if you were to lose your job. It is, but you're 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 not as impl- you're not as in demand. Your 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 employment is is more unstable. So if you if you say you're earning fifty thousand dollars a year, yeah, you could go and get a minimum wage job, but you you probably are going to struggle to find that fifty thousand dollar a year job. But chances are you're not making a six-figure income at the age of 25. So generally speaking, if you're living below your means, you might be able to... Living below your means is hard when you're you're just starting out because you need everything, right? So I, I'm going to say at 25, your world's being rocked. But at 45, you would, you would tr- trade for those worries seven days a week. So let's go to 35. Now you're 35 years old. 10 years later, another recession hits. Oh my God, these happen all the time. So another recession hits. So... Your employment, you're a little less concerned about employment. You're you're probably a little more stable. You're probably you're probably a little more valuable to your company, or you have more seniority. You're you're not one of the first ones to go, right? You're you're probably not as stable as the company you work for, but pretty close, right? You're you're not you're not that worried. Um, but now you have things to lose. You have things that, that can be taken away from you if things go really bad. You you maybe you have a house, so your house can be power of sale like you can if you don't make your poor mortgage payments the bank will take it um you you probably have a car maybe you've got two cars and they could be repossessed uh you maybe you probably statistically speaking you have dependents you have children so now you got mouths to feed you've got uh you you got to keep a roof over the head of all these dependents you got to keep food in their bellies and clothes on their backs so you've got some some concerns but you you Hopefully, okay, if you have kids, hopefully you've got a spouse and they're sharing in this burden. And, and the chances of you both losing your jobs, assuming you don't work in the same industry, is probably remote. So you've got that sort of safety net. And if you're not living beyond your means, you might be able to bridge, uh, you know, a, a two-year recession and, and weather the storm. So, But you can see how your worries are different. Like you're worried about different things. You, and all of a sudden you have an investment. It's not a 12-month lease. You've got a house. And so... Even if you don't lose your job, we talked about the, the value of real estate going down and you you feel less less wealthy, right? That That's playing in the back of your mind. So that's a concern. Now we move on to age 45, another recession. <laughs> These things happen all the time. So now 45. So you're probably really not worried about your job. At 45, you're probably a go-to person at work. You you are valuable to your company. You're, you're probably... The least worried about your job as you'll ever be at 45. You're very employable. You've got a ton of experience. If you lose this job, you're probably first in line for some other job. If, if one of it comes available, you're probably the most qualified candidate. So I like your chances of getting another job. But your children, they're teenagers. They're monsters. <laughs> teenagers. They are the most expensive they'll ever be. Actually, maybe not. But they're getting pretty darn expensive. Like they're they're just bleeding you. Every time you turn around, they're handing money to these monsters like they're they're costing you money they're they're breaking things they're they're wearing out your home like they're expensive okay <laughs> enough rant about kids and you probably have the most debt you're ever gonna have right maybe you upgraded houses right these 
you need some space away from these teenagers. So you, you had to get a bigger house, right? So now you're in a bigger house. Maybe you've done some renovations. Now you're, you want like a, who, who's eating a granite? I can't eat off these laminate countertops. We need granite. Come on. You, you know, see, so you, you, you've, you've done a kitchen reno. You've got a, you've got a, a mortgage and maybe a home equity line of credit. And you've got these teenagers are huge. I need a truck to drive, <laughs> drive these kids around and they can't fit in a car. So you've got the $65,000 truck. So you've got the most debt you may ever have. So right now, so you're vulnerable there. So even though you're employable, you need all of that money. You're spending it all. And you've got cars and your dependents, they, they're, they, they need, like they eat a lot of food, teenagers. They eat a ton of food and they, they go through clothes. Remember, these clothes aren't wearing, you're not replacing clothes that have knees worn out of them. You're replacing clothes because they don't look right. Like you're going through clothes like fast fashion. So 45, all of a sudden you're worried about, it's your debt that's your concern now. So the recession's hit and you have the most debt you've ever, the service on this debt requires all of your income. And now you, you are very employable, but you need that six-figure job. You need that income. As much as it is, now to your point, Courtney, replacing that income is is paramount. Like any job won't do. So you, if you lose your job in the in this in this recession, you might have to move to another town to get that same job. In my little town, if I ever got laid off in a recession, I was very exposed. I wasn't replacing that income here. I was doing at minimum an hour and a half commute, and and hopefully that landed me a job. Worst case. I'm relocating my whole family. Relocating teenagers, that's misery. You know, like I, that, that, anyone who's done that, I feel for you. So I'm relocating to another job, disrupting my whole life is upside down because I need that income because I, I have as much debt as I'm probably ever going to have. So just before we move on to 55, you kind of mentioned, I want to say, a lifestyle we know you personally wouldn't have lived at 40, at 45. You did not get those granite countertops or $65,000 truck or do the equity line of credit because you're Trevor and that's not probably things that happened. But was that still the most expensive time in your life? It was the most expensive time in my life. It, it, I was paying my mortgage off very aggressively, but not as aggressively as as I did when my kids were. I, I, actually, I, I, it probably was the most aggressive I paid it off. So there was room to you know, scale that back. So I was, I, I, I was wearing a bathing suit <laughs> when the tide went out, but I, I did have the most amount of debt I probably ever did at that time. So, and my kids were that expensive. Like I'm not exaggerating. Oh, I, I believe Teenagers that. Teenagers are but, that expensive. But I just wanted to kind of understand that even if even for you that this would be still an expensive time in your life due to mortgage repayment, which of course is, is huge. And, and, you know, I go back to the teenagers. They, you want to shelter your children from the realities of the recession. So you might even let them live life like it never happened. So you're, you, 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 the responsible thing probably would be to let them know there was a recession going on by scaling back some of the money that you invest in them in terms of their lifestyle so it, it really, um, but it, it was the most expensive time for sure. But definitely it's a, it's a fine line between, um, I, I, when your kids are teenagers, them going to school and, and all their peers. Well, this is going back to the recession when you were 15. So when I'm 45, yeah. my kids are probably around 15. 
that is, you know, do I really want them to know the realities of a recession? Those are formative years. You know? Exactly, exactly. So you, you want those years to be something uh, pleasurable to remember, right? Not, not the, the year we ran out of toilet paper <laughs> or whatever. And, and, and just because, and pretend your 15-year-olds are super looped in on what's going on, it, it doesn't mean that all their peers at school are as looped well, in as like well. Like I said, the recession happens when it affects you. Right. That's when your recession, the clock starts ticking on your personal recession when it actually affects you. So you're right. It, maybe it doesn't affect all their peers. All of a sudden they're, they can't, they feel they can't live their life. Uh, you, you, there is some compassion there, but at the same day you, you can't, uh, going bankrupt would be even a worse outcome. Of course. So let's move on to age 55. So another recession, um, so you're li- funny enough at 55, you're a little less stable in your employment. And the reason you're a little less stable and you become concerned about your employment is you're probably making the most money you'll ever make in your profession. And you, that means you're the most expensive employee given the job you do to your company. So when they're looking to cut costs, they want to cut the most amount of money with the few as fewest amount of people to disrupt the operation. So they're going to look at the biggest bang for their buck. And if you're an expensive employee and if the guy sitting beside you does the exact same job for $20,000 less and they got to get run it, get rid of one of you, um, it, it could be you. So you become very vulnerable just by the nature of your high, in, your high, your highest earning years makes you vulnerable. And when you're 55, actually when your age starts with a five, you're, you're become less employable. So when the, when you're looking for the next job, the guy who's 45 is definitely getting the job ahead of the guy who's 55 for the most part. It's because of the more workable years ahead of that. Exactly. So they're going to, they don't want to invest in somebody who's only got maybe another 10 years. The other, the 45 year olds that maybe have another 20 years, right? Or if like someone like myself, that, that might only be one year. <laughs> so you, you, but, and also it, it's, it's just the, the, the work world's kind of beat you down over the years and at 55, you probably don't sound near as enthusiastic in the job interview as the guy who's 45, right? You're probably describing in the interview all the things you're not willing to do <laughs> for this job. And the guy who's 45, he, again, he's desperate. He, he will mop floors and, and clean bathrooms and do your taxes. <laughs> Whatever it takes, just give me a job. The guy who's 55, he's probably, you know, seems a little less, enth- like I say, life's just beat you down a little bit more. Uh, so you're less mobile. Now your kids, they're probably in college or university or done, or done uh, depending, but you may have the, if you funded that, that educational endeavor, you may have the debt to deal with still or help your kids with that debt. So, but hopefully you've managed the rest of your debts well, or, or maybe you've managed all of your debts well, and you, you've got rid of the home equity line of credit. You, you don't have a car loan anymore. You don't have a mortgage. But maybe, maybe, and this happens, maybe once the kids left, you finally bought the house of your dreams because you can afford it now. You can afford the house of your dreams. So you bought that McMansion. You went out and you mortgaged up and you said, we're getting that house we always wanted that we don't need now, but we always wanted. And now you are in, you, you have a, a 25-year mortgage in front of you. There's a saying that uh, you can't... You, you can't, can't have nice things when you've got kids. So now your yeah. kids are gone, so now it's time to get the nice things, right? And this is called lifestyle inflation. This is when the inflation happens. So this this could happen. So 
the recession hits you, hopefully you're in a good place. You went swimming with your bathing suit. The tide went out. You were fully clothed. Um, but there's a lot of people who aren't. So, But you'd feel different about yourself. And you're going to start to be a little concerned about like the stock market at 55. It's going to be playing in the back of your mind because you, you've probably got a little bit of money sitting there invested and you're starting to learn about stocks and bonds and the fluctuations in the markets and all of a sudden this thing's flatlining on you in a recession and you're like, you think you've just lost everything you've put in and you're starting to panic. So I'm going to, I'm going to pause here and I want, before we get to 65, because I think this question I'm about to ask is more relevant to these form, these prior years, but so you just said, don't buy them like mansion. Don't do, don't do the things now that you have the money. And I'm hearing all these sacrifices. I'm hearing just be prepared. I'm hearing just, it, it sounds like you're always planning for that, that recession to hit. And at, at what point can you let your guard down? At what point maybe can you go on that vacation? not worry that recession's coming. Is there, how have you kind of played with that throughout your life? Well, they, they happen every eight to 10 years historically. So if you, if you, but can you live too cautiously? I guess that's, you, that's my you question. You can live too cautiously, but you can also live too far to the edge. So you might, in, in the throes of a recession, you might not go on vacation. Or maybe you don't go on an interna- international vacation every single year. Like you, you I, I think you need to live below your means all the time. That's my personal opinion. It, it, it's, it'll help you sleep at night a great deal. Have you kind of encountered anyone or shared experiences with anyone who maybe our recession was their wake-up call where they were living beyond their means and then they got hit in the face so hard by a recession that they kind of really altered the way that they lived their life? I do know people like that, but they tend to have really short memories. And because the recession only lasts, you know, 15 to 24 months, they they come out the other end. And I think if you declare bankruptcy, I think you have a, your credit rating gets cleaned up in seven years. I believe. Just in time for the next recession. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of people who who get, you know, blindsided by a recession they often, the people that I know, they took the victim mentality, right? They, they were victims of the recession, not of their own doing. And they, they don't see that they did anything wrong and they go back to their old ways. I'm so happy you brought that up because I think, because uh, it's, it's something that's happening to the individual. So I think this is probably a common, common thing. You're like, oh, the recession I couldn't control is outside of my control. And uh, I think this is probably a common phenomenon. Um, so back to the, I sidetracked us there, but back to the final age that we might experience kind of, or the, we're going to experience recessions every 10 years after, but 65 is that kind of that next, the last kind of pivotal year. So obviously I have not experienced this particular recession. I am I'm 55 and I'm going to be, or almost 55 and I'm going to experience this COVID related recession firsthand, but 65, um, obviously, hopefully you don't have any employment concerns. Hopefully you're retired and you're not worried about a job. Hopefully you have no debt. Hopefully you have no dependents other than your spouse. And, but you're very concerned about investments. I mean, this is paramount. When the, when the stock market goes down, so does your income at some level. Like, I mean, hopefully you're diversified and you can weather this storm long enough, but 
your, your perception of the loss of wealth is going to feel real. I mean, you're going to look at those numbers, and I don't care who you are, you might have nerves of steel. You're going to panic at some level. There's going to be some concern. Unless you're on one of these defined benefit pension plans that pay you till you die, no matter what the market's doing, you, you probably still have investments, though, and you're, you still feel a loss of wealth. And you probably have real estate, so you have all those concerns in terms of that asset class. So I think when you're 65, I think the, the, the two big things that go away are, or the three things are debt, employment concerns, and dependence. So that's a lot of things off your plate. And so hopefully the, a recession at age 65, and maybe listeners can write in and they've experienced one at age 65, tell me your, how it was or if, if you even knew one was happening and maybe you read it in the news and it was a rumor, you didn't even know what was happening. I haven't talked on 75 because I, I got to think once you're retired, your concerns are kind of be, become the same all the way along. No, I'd have to agree with that. Kind of, when you hit that kind of retired stage, everything pretty much kind of flatlines out to... Uh, leave it, maybe retired people write in and say, you can't group us all together. You know, we, we have different concerns. That, you know, 75 is different than 65. I don't know. I haven't been there yet, but I, I'm trying to imagine. And just kind of reiterate the the lead into this episode we talked about at the beginning is that, so you've obviously experienced uh, age 35 and 45 and 25, all those kind of years. So the most you could do is maybe offer some words of wisdom to younger individuals, but at this, in the same light, the, the reason for the recession starting is going to be different. So how applicable is your experience to younger generations? It, it, I think that to very young people, this is not the new normal. This is temporary. It will end. Live below your means all the time. Avoid debt as much as you can. I, I understand debt is part of our society, but avoid unnecessary debt. Live below your means and have an emergency fund. And that will, you'll be able to weather a lot of storms with that formula. And on that note, that brings us to the end of today's show on recessions. Thank you so much for being here with us today for this episode. We went, uh, we kind of talked about the history of recessions, defined what a recession is, how it looks like, how it's looked like um, throughout the years, some common triggers of recessions from the supply side and demand side, as long as as well as what recessions look like throughout our lives and how they really are our first time experiencing them at every age. Thank you so much for being here with us for another episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast. We will see you next week. Until then, keep it simple.